The Game of Thrones is an ugly game, Otto Hightower tells us. <laughs> and, and he is correct. It's good. A lot of good lines in this episode. A lot of um, things that people re- remembered for. I think, a, mo- I think a, a bunch of these conversations and dialogue and lines were featured in the previews for the show from this particular episode. Almost all this episode takes place at Driftmark, which is kind of cool, just to have a new location. Well, and also at night, but with a full moon. Our screen seemed to be brightening and dimming during the Renera Damon conversation. With We have the subtitles on, and I'd be curious if for other listeners they had the same experience or if it's just our aging TV. But it's kind of it's kind of weird. But it was at night. It was so what we saw when Amond claimed Rhaegar. Wait, what? Vagar. Vagar. <laughs> well, I guess let's start there. So, Amond is now Vagar's rider. I was like, God, I can't believe I didn't connect that last week. We were introduced to two people who don't have a dragon, and I just kept thinking naturally, Lena's daughter would take, you know, because they're together already. But I, I guess you have to make an effort to claim them. Right, yeah, as he says, like, oh, if it's your dragon, you should have claimed him. Which creates a whole different way to think about within just the Targaryen family, the competition amongst themselves. I thought there was like a special bond that happened in which, because of magic, the same way how some eggs hatch and other ones don't, that that is why. But it sounds like there's some choice involved. But not necessarily so, because Aemond had been trying to do this for years with the other dragons down there. And... Well, I don't think he was trying like this. I mean, they're in the dragon pit. It may be harder to approach. And maybe that stunt with the pig and what happened last week was not just foreshadowing, but also the last nudge he needed to take a, a real risk. Which was a risky move, and I really liked the way that he explained it and Otto explained it. He said, it's, I lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. And Otto said, the dragon is worth more than a thousand times the price he paid. In this episode, this Game of Thrones, the players are in it to win it. They're aligning, getting their power base. With Aemond, we see the setup of the likely character that he's going to be. He's went from this really bullied kid. And there's even a, a scene in this episode where he looks at uh, the eldest, uh, Jay? Jace. Jace, yeah. Jacarys is his name, but they call him Jace. Okay, Jace. And it almost looks like there's an effort to bond, but it's just there's so much kind of bad blood there without some facilitation. It's not going to happen. But then that's the last kindness we see in Aemond at all. He completely transformed into the twat that his older brother called him, but just now for different reasons. Like, he, he was purposely cruel. Yeah, chip on his shoulder now that he got the biggest, baddest dragon in town. But to people who were never even mean to him. And that's really i think the setup it's not just revenge or retribution who were people who were cruel to him he comes back he has this dragon and of course those girls who just lost their mother they just had her funeral they've always known her mom's dragon that's like a piece of her mom with them uh, or their mom with them and then he's like your mother's dead he totally provoked them it was very unkind and cruel so it's one of those situations where someone who had been bullied becomes the bully Vagar goes over to the Greens. That that was a big power event. And then in a, a dragon as powerful as Vagar seems like it might be too much for one side to have over the other. But then Rhaenyra shows up her defenses by marrying Damon and getting what he brings to the table, which is his personality, his eagerness for battle, and his own dragon. So we can clearly see that the sides 
becoming evenly matched and splitting like who's landing where until this episode you might not have known like exactly where Corliss would fall for example but he seems to be as of right now pretty clearly on Rhaenyra's side I did find that part interesting with Corliss he's on Rhaenyra's side but not because of Rhaenyra but because she just is the one who ended up marrying his bloodline and the kids who have his name uh he was way too quiet for Corliss when the whole kid spat and they're all in that big room. If he is on Rhaenyra's side, it might make sense for him to not say much because it was the other side that lost an eye and you don't want to provoke retribution in any way. But we talked last episode about how we didn't think he'd be okay with Lenor essentially being a, a cuckold, but he's okay with it as long as it's the name. Well, and we also learn in this episode that Rhaenyra tried several times. She yeah. really did try. So the only way that Rhaenyra could have had children with her marriage was to do exactly what she did, which really changes the setup of what a lot of people think about it. Right. Better to have heirs in name only than no heirs. Yeah. And this older generation of Viserys and Corlys, they don't really seem to care. It's all perception. But after this, it is all in the open. So all the pretenses and hiding and everything has been laid open in front of everybody. So they can still deny it. But the conversation, you know, Aegon, he just said it. Uh, just look at them. We all know. He, they're like, who told you this? He doesn't, nobody needs to tell him. It's just so obvious. We also see that Aemond had a chance to throw his mother under the bus. He did not. Sorry. Right. He didn't, um, he didn't say that Alicent was the yeah. one who told him their bastards. He did look at her. But, but he ended up saying his brother, yeah, which is probably true too. But then the brother is also getting from Allison. I mean, this is really Allison talking through her children. And that, I would offer, is also pretty obvious that the series doesn't need to ask, but maybe for the sake of the show of in that room with all those people. But it's also out there now. So the whispers about it or anything can't be said. It's out there. And the series did what he could to shut it down. But it really makes you wonder as an audience of what happens when Viserys is no longer king. Yeah, Viserys is not long for this world and everyone has to really scramble to line up their pieces for when, when he goes. Well, and the high towers were already going to fight for it when it was a much harder battle, when it was very clearly Rhaenyra and her line. But now that it, it's almost like they, they can't fight Rhaenyra as much maybe, but they can fight her line, unless she has a kid with Damon. Yeah, so her and Damon, that happened quickly. We talked about, we speculated about that last episode. So that's where it jumped a little fast for me because there wasn't really a time jump with the exception of how long it took for them to travel. And we, and you know, we're so used to the jet packing uh, of like <laughs> Varys and Littlefinger and stuff from Game of Thrones that, I mean, it, it could easily have been months. Yeah, they should have been clearer about this. It doesn't really matter, but when Rhaenyra and Damon got married, you couldn't tell if that was happening on the beach at Driftmark or if that was at Dragonstone or how long, how later it was. If we go by the books, it was a lot later. <laughs> the, the Strongs are still alive at this point in the books. So they're, they're time jumping and rearranging and doing things like that. So it's ultimately going to get us to the same place, but the show is, is really hitting the gas. Yeah, so that was the part where I know that there's a connection between Rhaenyra and Damon. It would have been nice to see a little bit of that. They take a little bit more time for them to go from, hey, we haven't seen each other in a decade, to getting married. So normally I do the 
book comparisons in our longer episode, but our analytics tell us a lot more people listen to this episode. <laughs> so I don't think this is going to be a spoiler or anything, but right, the time that they went from Damon and Renera hooking up to deciding what's going to happen with Leonor to getting married was like, there was an interesting twist here that a book reader couldn't have predicted. And that is that there's no indication in the book. And I always say this, but the history is fuzzy, so they can interpret it anyway, that Leonor actually lived and that it was a false flag. Mm-hmm. In the books, it's just that Carl, it seems like Carl killed Leonor in a duel. Could have been over jealousy, could have been because Damon paid him off, could have been for a number of reasons, but there was no indication that it was a trick. And then when we watched the show here, I was like, oh, so the, it was Damon who paid him off to kill him. But then they gave a back door where it was, it was, you know, they didn't kill him. So when it showed Damon kill that other person who was a guard, I guess, that's whose body they stood in for Lenor. That's the way I'm interpreting it. Carl. Is it um, Damon killed? I thought it was Damon who killed the guy on the stairs. Oh. Okay. So then it means that everybody was in on it. Right. So it, when we first watched it, I thought it was just Carl who let, who worked with uh, Lenor and was like, oh, they paid me to do this, but let's do that. But then when we were like, who's that guard that they killed or whatever? That's whose body they threw in. And I think it was Damon who killed him. So that means that they're all in on it. Yeah. And this is not in the book. So this tells me, I think that the show is trying to get us to not hate Damon and Rhaenyra too much. Because that was a pretty bad move to kill Lanor off. So, but here's the thing. Yes. But then Lanor had no problem sacrificing somebody else. And breaking his parents' hearts. Correct. Yeah. So Lanor is no better, no matter if Damon and Rhaenyra were in on it or not, than Damon and Rhaenyra because he sentenced someone else to die. Right. So they're all the same in the level of deceit to, that they're willing to go to and murder to get what they want. Lanor is willing to kill an innocent person to be him so that he can go live the life that he wanted. Yeah, so it's bad all the way around, but it could have been worse if they actually killed off Lanor. I mean, here, the only person it's bad for is that poor guard. Yeah, and... The Valarian parents, who think that both, oh, yeah, the the, both their children are dead. In, in such short right, period of time. Right, back to back. Yeah. But it also means now that the kids that they have that are there are the only kids that they're going to have for their line. The, right, um, Damon's children, the two girls. Yeah, and by name, Rhaenyra's. But there's no more kids to give them more offspring. This is it. They've got five grandchildren Wait, wait, what do you mean by name, Rhaenyra? Uh, because Corliss says to Rhaenys, history doesn't remember blood, it remembers names. And Rhaenyra's kids have Valarian as their last name. Oh, right, yeah. So they have Valarian as the last name, and they're the only kids alive now that have the name. Yeah, but, so Damon's daughters are named Targaryen, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? But in terms of actual blood, it's only Lena and Damon's uh, kids. Right. Um, but it, but this is it. This is their line. These five kids, to to continue this house of, of at least Corliss's specific line, we, we have our players. It's set now because they lost both their children. Yeah. So the first, I don't know, 35 minutes or so of this episode... Uh, I think it was a almost perfect ten. That was so well done and tense. The uh, funeral scene, the conflict, and the what do you call it? Well, they were all together, and the kids were fighting with each other. And Alicent goes and attacks Renera. All, all that was almost perfect. The end was 
a little bit too speeded up, but I thought this was a really strong episode and um, just pleasure to watch, I guess. Mm. One thing that was a true pleasure to watch was to watch Allison completely lose her shit. (laughs) It was good to see that because you're you're just wondering, she's getting so wound up and she's just getting so involved and self-indulgent and you're just like, I wonder when she's going to snap. Right. Yeah, and we could see, we, we talked about this in our last podcast too, but these poor kids don't stand a chance. When your parents are wound up that tight and they're talking to you about all the threat and everything, it's just Otto to Allison, Allison to her kids. But right, yeah, she was, she was ready to blow. And, and you can see now that it's more clear how quietly vicious Otto really is. Yeah, Wait, he, we knew it was there, but he wasn't playing so outright before where it was just so obvious. When we see how he responds to Allison here, we know how bad he really is about all of this, which it adds context why Allison is the way that she is. This is like the only time we've seen him proud of her, or at least yep. <laughs> happy that she's playing the game so hard. And I, I did like the scene where he kicks Aegon because he's drinking too much and just being a piece of shit or whatever. So I like that auto. <laughs> Uh, kicked him in the ribs to wake him up. Yeah, because he's such a bitter disappointment. It's so hard for him to do what he's trying to do. And it, it shows very clearly that he doesn't give a shit about the actual person who is Aegon. He gives a shit about who Aegon represents. Right, and, and in his conversation with Alicent, he's he basically, he, he says it more outright than anyone else. Like, we're here to win this game. And now that we got Vagar, Otto is definitely the the most outright player. But this is what got him in trouble before. He's too outright. But the go- going back... Well, to- now he's totally outright here with yeah. Allison. He never... <laughs> to go back to the, you're going to make me say it, he never explicitly came out with some things except for a little bit to Allison about like, yes, he's the heir. But now he's just full on out there doing this. We as an audience now know where he's truly at and the levels that he's willing to go to. And I think he's also seen Amond as a player here. So I bet you Otto is going to start taking an interest in Amond and buddy and buddy, buddy, buddy and up to him, grooming him, teaching him. They might do Aegon a little bit, but Aegon might just be the person who takes the throne. But like, kind of like what Joffrey was to the Lannisters, he didn't really hold any power or do anything. They all just kind of wielded him, wielded him like Cersei and uh, Tyrion and, and Tywin. Yeah. And that's what I kind of see this, is we've got the similar setup as the Lannisters in Game of Thrones here. They just need the headpiece, which is what Aegon's going to be. But Aemond, he could be the, the brawn to do what needs to be done. And if they can ingratiate themselves to him and give him the intention and the love and the care that he might want and training, they could have a powerful weapon there. Yeah, it's just bad luck that the more sturdy of the potential leaders was the second born. And that's the problem with monarchy. Uh, second born son. Second born son. Speaking yeah. of second born there, we have Helena, which we now know she is a dreamer. We, you and I were speculating uh, after seeing last week's episode of can she kind of be a prophet and see the future? And she was saying things. She mentioned the one eye for Amund about getting a dragon. Right, he'll have to close one eye to get a dragon. Something She said something of that last episode. Yep, and so now that that has come to fruition, we know that she is a dreamer. And she's doing her thing again in this episode. She's saying stuff. So this kind of is a, a signal to us as the audience whenever we get a, a Helena scene. Pay attention to what she says. Yeah, when and, we do our deep dive, I'll have to really pay attention to what she said in that scene. It sounds like she's betrothed to Aegon already. 
Yeah, that was unclear to me. They, they didn't mention that. I wasn't sure who, which brother. I, I know that Aegon called her an, an idiot. <laughs> no, I'm pretty um, sure that it, it's Aegon who's betrothed to her. Okay. Um, we'll rewatch it again and clarify all this. This yeah. is the same thing with the Lenor bit. Now I'll have to like yeah. rewatch it. And Sorry, stuff. just reminded our listeners. This is our first impressions episodes where we take no notes. We just watch like everybody else, and then our second podcast we go scene by scene. So we'll have a clearer picture of this. But but no one listens to our deep dive. <laughs> well, few, fewer fewer people do, and it is long. Yeah. It is it is a task, but. But, well, okay, so I'll have to remember, but just the way that they're, my main point about this is the way that her brothers are talking about her shows that they don't have a clue about what she could be, her usefulness, uh, what she has to offer. They don't see it. So does this blindness, and not just because of the loss of the eye, but this blindness to see her as, remember what Viserys says, Targaryens all ride dragons for the most part or have that potential, but very few of them have the ability to be a dreamer. And that really seems to be quite a big, at least to Viserys, a coveted um, special gift of being a Targaryen. Right. And so It's almost like Viserys is the only one that knows this thing even is a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's obviously been overshadowed by dragon riding. And that would make sense for teenagers and kids. They don't you know, care about all that stuff. We all know that these people are going to grow up. Right. And so it just, I'm just curious to see, what, you know, are they going to be able to see the usefulness of their sister? I think another big time jump in recasting and stuff. I don't, I don't know how much recasting there is. If you know, don't tell me. I kind of like the surprise. No, I, I don't know. It's a little bit, um, it's just risky for a show to do that. You know, as these kids, presumably they got to, they'll be uh, aged up. I, I don't see how they can't do a recasting for the children if <clears throat> unless this is where most of the action takes place at this timeline, we're, we're definitely going to have to see the kids get older. I mean, Jace looks like he's eight. Right. For the little kids, it's not a problem. But for someone like Aegon, how, how we're kind of getting to know this actor already, I don't know if they're going to jump him up or not. But... He he does a good job. I wonder what uh, amount of direction they give him. But during Lena's actual funeral, when I forget his name, but Corliss's brother is speaking... He could not look more annoyed or put out at having to be there. No pretense at all about being respectful. Yeah. Kind of like Damon, who starts laughing at the thought that the the blood can't be diluted and all that stuff. Straight up laughs at the charade of it all. Yeah. Um, But with his future wife... Like he's making fun of her children, not making fun of, but he's laughing at the. I think he's laughing at the level of the farce that it all is, and that they're bothering to even say that in that moment because he wasn't laughing before that was said. Right. So we do. um, Who's winning and who's losing the Game of Thrones with this episode? I, I don't know if it'll go on for every episode, but we can do our normal. Who's winning and who's losing? But now we can almost start to do it by teams. Yeah. Which who's winning the Greens or the Blacks? So that would be the Greens would be Alicent, the High Towers. That side, and then... On the black side, though, uh, we've got Rhaenyra, but then we've got Damon's family, so the combination of them. And then there was a, a beautiful scene. I really loved it. Um, sometimes, it, the same way with the, the wedding feast, when they had the different houses come in, and how we appreciated the just the music and the direction and the editing of all that. I did like there's a scene, and you could just really see it where... You've got the high towers on one side, and then it cuts over. And it, this is before Rhaenyra and Damon uh, get married. They're there, and then Corliss is there. And you can just see it. It's all lined up of who's going to be on whose side. Right, when they face off with each other. So we have House Valerian, 
we have Damon and then we have Rhaenyra. So there's three families there where less so for the high towers. Right. If they didn't get Vagar, they would look ridiculously overpowered. Mm-hmm. But now that they did, that's different. Oh yeah, I was gonna mention this earlier about when Alicent loses her shit and she commands Kristen Cole to, you know, take out his eye. She even got denied by him there, you know. So he seems to, he's firmly on that side, but it uh, looked like he was going to go start to do it, and Viserys shut it down. Uh, and it also know. shows that he is sworn to her and no one else. And just to give some context of what that means, it's what Brienne was to Lady Catelyn. Right. But then he corrected her and said, I'm your sworn protector, not your enforcer or thug or whatever. But could have just been and the, the did you, setting. Did you so. see the look between Sir Kristen Cole and... Yeah. Uh, um, the, the Lord Commander. The Lord Commander, yeah. He, I think he can see a little bit of what's going on there. Yeah, I, that Lord Commander wasn't in the last episode, and I had wondered if something happened to him off screen or whatever, because he's been in every episode except for the last one. I think one. he was briefly in the last episode. Um, All right, so uh, first let's do individuals before teams. What, what individual is winning the Game of Thrones in this episode? Uh, I, I think or, or individual family, whatever, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's got to be... Uh, Aemond yeah. is as funny as that sounds because he's a kid and, and I don't, we don't know what he's fighting for. He now knows he's a powerful dude. He knows right away. Um, and so then by extension, I'm going to... That helps his family a bit. But it's funny though because uh, Rhaenyra uh, played well here by marrying Damon. Making that happen, them all coming together and doing that, that's going to... Yeah, I would say the individual winner has to be Aemond because he got the the codes to the nukes. And then the loser could go a couple different ways. I'm kind of sick of saying Viserys. He's watching everything fall apart under his feet, so it could be him. But I'm going to say Corlys and the Valarians in general just for losing both their kids, at least in their mind, losing them. Um, Well, and Corlys is playing the Game of Thrones. yeah. And, and we see that it has nothing to do with preserving his wife's honor. Right. It's his own ambition. Who would you say is losing? The series. Yeah, poor guy. Oh, it's just so hard to watch every episode. Every all everything falls apart under him. Yeah, and his body too. Yeah. But you feel bad for him. He isn't this bad guy. And Damon's just so difficult and his daughter's pretty difficult. He does say in this about he's speaking to Damon about how his daughters are the spinning image of Lena and how that's a blessing and a curse. It shows a little bit about what Rhaenyra still means to him in a way that his other kids cannot because he misses Emma. Yeah, right. Well, and he even uh, calls Allison Emma, so could be losing his faculties. And then as a team sport, uh, I guess I'll say the Greens... Had, a, had just Vagar's just so powerful this has to be a level up so I agree with you that Rhaenyra hooking up with Damon is a big power for the blacks but compared to from the start of the episode to the end of the episode I think the greens uh, grew more yeah but remember when they were fighting in the stepstones having multiple dragons wasn't helping right but if it comes down to dragon versus dragon I don't know if anyone can mess with Vagar. but then Vagar's so old maybe I'm wrong about that yeah, but it also means that they have, I'm guessing, two dragons on that side. Yeah, one thing I wish the show was doing a little more is... Um, but they had three dragons take off Introducing these characters of the dragons, right. There was at least four or five at Driftmark, and then three took off when they left. 
Vagar being the last of them. So. But does that mean that Helena is a writer? Yeah, Helena and Aegon and... A writer, though. We know she has a dragon, but does... I mean, I we know that Viserys used to be a writer, right. but we don't see him writing anymore. Right, so who would the third one be? Yeah, so that, that would be my guess is Helena. All right, then I'll throw in my little advertisement here. This episode is brought to you by Valco Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. If you live in Chicago, get 20% off your first tuition payment by going to ValcoBJJ.com. All right, talk to you soon with our deep dive scene-by-scene -scene analysis in a couple of days.